0: Welcome to the Healthy Returns Podcast, where I sit down with founders, investors, and executives innovating in health tech, fitness and wellness, and human performance. My guest today is Jim Crowell, managing partner of The Sage House, an investment and consulting firm for fitness and wellness companies. In today's episode, we discuss product market fit, the importance of finding a deeper connection to healthy living, and Jim's plans to open new HealthSpan-focused brick-and-mortar studio gyms. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's episode. I've heard you talk about how fitness and wellness is actually primarily emotional. Maybe take us through your background and kind of frame it in that way so that maybe highlight certain moments in your life or certain experiences that have kind of formed the emotional relationship that you may have with fitness and wellness.
1: In my opinion, emotion sometimes is a word that I'll use the word triggers people's perception of what I'm saying by it. But all I'm getting at is that there is a deeper connection to what somebody is doing. And if they understand what that deeper connection is, it becomes much more of a momentum feeling as opposed to rolling the boulder up the hill. And so, for example, the difference in somebody saying, oh, I need to eat. 800 grams of um, fruit and vegetables, right? You know, typical E.C. Sinkowski or Kelly and Juliet Storetten built to move or you know, yeah. something like that. It's far harder to, to do that if you have no connection to it. Whereas if you said, I am a varsity tennis player at a major university, I am this person that connection to, I am somebody who eats 800 grams of fruit and vegetables every day is a completely different way of approaching. It's not, you don't even feel like you're approaching it. It's just like, well, of course I would eat 800 grams a day as opposed to just trying to like grasp for it. And so to me, the emotion of feeling connected is actually about feeling like you are the person who does the thing as opposed to the person who isn't the person who does the thing. And so you constantly have to fight for it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And then I guess what that makes me think of is it's almost like my relationship personally to, to health and wellness has kind of, it's been shaped around my life as an athlete, right? You know, I'm wondering with you has that relationship now changed being a former athlete um, and if that has kind of, as you said, maybe changed the way you're connected to health and wellness, and if that in itself has given you any sort of insight into, you know, what type of platforms or products or companies,
1: I hope it's given me perspective, but you you never know. Um, yeah, I mean, my my life has kind of been defined maybe in three particular buckets. One is the athlete bucket, one is the coach bucket, and one's the finance bucket. And so I have felt highly connected and disciplined and interested in those three buckets. Many other people have no interest in those buckets, no problem. I was just incredibly interested in those buckets. So I played tennis at Penn State, but I would say where I was most connected to tennis was actually when I found a really, really good group of coaches in Pittsburgh that helped me go from not ranked in the city to, I don't know, 90 or 100 in the country in like a year. And so that level of focus and discipline to me didn't feel hard at all because I found these folks who I was interested in learning from, and so they taught me the game, not just fed me balls. And so that was really interesting for me, and I've actually reflected on that for decades, frankly, like what was that? What what made me feel so connected to that? And it was a growth feeling. It was a learning feeling. It was a belonging feeling to that group of people who were on the courts, led by those coaches. So that was one huge piece for me. Um, I didn't feel so much that way in college, you know. And part of that's on me. Part of that's on the environment. Whatever. But I just didn't feel that way. So I didn't feel as connected to it. So when I graduated, then I kind of got into the finance world, because I was a hedge fund trader. And so I was like, I was, I was living that life, which was clearly less healthy than what I was living, you know, back as a 17 year old, you know, focused on sport. And then interestingly enough, I think maybe I was 26, 27, something like that. And this thing called CrossFit, you know, I would argue found me. And if you've ever done CrossFit, it's, nuts. Like, it's just nuts because the whole goal is to go faster, heavier, longer, all at once. right? Yeah. And, but, but it, it absolutely captured my attention. I mean, unbelievably so. And so when I defined myself as a CrossFitter, of course, I wasn't going to eat garbage foods because I was a CrossFit athlete. Right. And so it was Instantly easier for me to do what other people deemed as hard now I understand that my brain might function a little bit differently than some and that's cool, too But the moment that I was a CrossFit athlete My entire perspective on what I should eat how I should sleep changed and similar to what I understand of you I needed to explore it. I needed to learn more about it and I wanted to spend time in and around it and so what I would say to you is here's where the finance piece comes in looking at companies, looking at products, looking at services around fitness and wellness, I call it emotional as a way of connecting it to a particular audience. And so, you know, let's use a product like Notion, right? Like Notion is a very malleable, you know, business product where in theory, any type of business could use it. Whereas strength training in a powerlifting gym for anybody listening to this, right? Like Chalks everywhere, loud, you know, hardcore music. It is not the scene for a lot of people. And so fitness to me is more disparate and more niche than many other business models. And so if you can't connect very specifically to the type of audience who you need to connect with for your product to work, those are companies that I can't wrap my head around. So I'm looking for kind of one of two major things. Typically, I'm looking for what audience do you serve better than anybody else in the world, right? And it's it's clear, right? A CrossFit audience is completely different than a Pilates audience. All things equal, right? All things equal. Like you laughed be, because it's like, yeah, it's yeah, totally yeah. different. Group. And so I need to think of the product and the user experience and my retention strategies and my customer support strategies and da 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 You know to serve that audience and so i think that most fitness and wellness products won't be as big because they serve a smaller audience and so that brings the question of well like are they venture backable some are most aren't in my opinion but that doesn't make them bad businesses that's one of the reasons that we Structured as holding companies because we want to find the great businesses who create captive customer bases, who create higher margin to compound into dividends and, you know, growth value over time. So if you kind of combine that idea, the other audience comes in is uh, not audience, but product types. We just call it infrastructure. So what are the products that best serve these different fitness audiences or businesses serving these audiences as the backbone? Of the industry so a great example is computer vision right there's no one audience that computer vision is going to work for but you need to build a product and a b2b integration strategy etc that allows you to go serve picking names peloton and tonal and um, all these other connected products right so those two areas to me are what i always look for call it broadly in these companies and and so far it's, it's seemingly has worked out pretty well um because if i can't define how a company plays in one of those two buckets it just doesn't make that much sense to me
0: is it the product or the company that's defining that group or have you found that when that product or service is out there that group inherently Gravitates towards that product
1: i think it's a really really good question and i my best response to that is it's gray because all things equal if you had a mountain based endurance runner running 100 k's or longer 100 miles think of the leadville you know race or something if there was a product that completely solved for all of that audience's problems, all things equal, it would be better than Strava. The issue though, is that Strava has so many features that it actually solves for that audience better than a niche, very, very small, under-resourced product probably could, right? And so it's gray in that the audience matters tremendously, particularly early for a product, but you still have to have the table stakes features, which now that the industry is beginning to mature, those table stakes features are way better than they were five years ago. Um, so it's, it's getting harder, but infrastructure is allowing those features to be built in much less expensively. You know, so I don't need to build my own computer vision anymore. I would just use a product like a Sensei, right? I don't need to build um, wearable data tracking. I just use a company like Rook. Right. You know, it's like makes complete sense why I would want to do that, because I don't want to compete with them in aggregation and understanding of wearable data. I want to take that information and make it absolutely pristine for my particular audience. Um, so this maybe a, the other part of your question is, is it kind of a push or a pull in terms of the product? In, in my mind, it's always a bit of both where somebody is creating something most founders have the product or the service in mind initially they're like oh my god you know i need this or my people need this and they're not so much thinking specifically about the demographics and the psychographics of that customer but i would argue that the companies that actually make it through and shoot the gap and get really popular think deeply about that customer and their needs and the problems that they have and how to solve the problems that they have so it might not start that way but the great products think very deeply about that
0: what i always think of um and kind of why i gravitate Absolutely. to this space is that i don't just think of fitness and wellness like in the fitness and wellness uh you know it's like sector you I, have I, fitness and wellness you have traditional healthcare like in an ideal world it's this it's it's together right i'm wondering if that even is possible when companies are targeting very niche audiences you know heavy hitter cgms for example right like the levels the super sapiens of the world they started out targeting endurance athletes but are now finding you know very broad use cases for the diabetic population but then there's that population in between where they're not endurance athletes, but they haven't been clinically diagnosed. I'm wondering how you target that that middle portion when your starting target population is so niche and that it's either the clinically facing side with the diabetic population or it's the endurance athletes. Like how do you target that middle section and how do you make their lives better and enhance their health?
1: That is something that the fitness and wellness arena has been asking themselves very heavily for a while It's still a particular audience and so if an audience doesn't believe they have a problem they won't buy a product and so this middle audience historically hasn't felt like they had a problem now since the you know, the Peter Attias, the Andrew Hubermans, you know, et cetera, have been really promoting this concept of longevity and health span. We are certainly seeing a lot more normal people talking about the idea of getting healthy just because it's a good idea. That, that didn't exist before, right? Like the, the people who were in gyms were, I'm just picking a number, the 10% right they were that audience they were more inspired to do fitness right we are seeing more normal people going to the gym with more specific pursuits in mind so i'm seeing more people in gyms doing strength training and maybe that's just random i assume it's because they're hearing the message from people like atia or you know if you know gabrielle lyons right you know she's really big on the protein side of things right and thinking about how to eat real protein and then do strength training like these are scientifically proven ways of being healthy so to come back to your product question if the deep science has been proven i'm putting in quotes because some people kind of put bad information through but i think it's fair to say that doing smart strength training and zone two aerobic work with some peak aerobic work, like that's how you get in shape and that's how you prevent as much as you can prevent outside of certain foods. And you know, that's a different conversation. But if you are building a product and you don't have any medical or, you know, medical health statistical information supporting your claim, you're never gonna reach that middle group. Never, because they don't think they have a problem. So it's really
0: interesting you say
1: that, because then, in my
0: opinion, right, everything in health, in traditional healthcare, at least, is measured through health outcomes. Where's that data going to come from? Because, again, because it's preventative, if we're looking at it through this preventative health uh, framework, then I feel like we'll only see the data show up and the health outcomes being proven like 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. It's like, I almost think of it as like a generational thing where- you know, you look like my current generation, right? 20 years from now, what's our, what are our health outcomes in terms of chronic disease? So I don't know how that exactly would happen. And <laughs> detriment then to those companies that are trying to target this.
1: Product. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have theories, I'm clearly not a doctor or, or a statistician. So let me just throw that on the table. But I think that these studies have now been going on for 20 or 30 years. And that's why we have data for books like Outlive to have credibility. And with the advent of wearables, um, you know, whether, whether it's simple like heart rate and now HRV and certainly CGMs are a game changer in terms of what can be tracked and the real time clarity of like, Oh my goodness, my decision to eat that donut just spiked my blood sugar. It's like, that's not necessarily bad, but if I spike it too many times, I now have credible data that would suggest that's bad. And so to me, what has been happening, we're early, right? Like you having these conversations, you're still early, my friend. Um, It doesn't feel like you are, but you're early. And so regular people are starting to see data that's making them either interested in doing things for their health span or scared, which is prompting them to do things for their health span. And if we think about marketing, right, gain fear logic. What do I have to gain by doing this? What am I afraid of if I don't do it? And then the logic, we are seeing those things actually play out in both scientific studies and marketing and content leaders. And so, for example, could Peter Atia have had a platform like he has today without social media? No chance. No chance, right? And so a lot of confounding factors are coming together to show that this type of A lifestyle, to your point, works and is important for people to do because there is enough data to suggest that if I don't do anything from 35 to 55, I might feel okay, and then all of a sudden at 55, I might go downhill like a train wreck, right? And so the more that people see instances of that and data to support that, and let's be fair, the marketing and the content that surrounds it the more I believe that middle zone of people will be willing to try these things. But I'm, I, you know, call me a pessimist. There's no chance that a hundred percent of people are going to just start doing exercise and lifestyle. This is not how the world works, right? A lot of people aren't going to be connected to it and that's cool, but products and services in the health and wellness space will die if they only go to people who are just unwilling to see them.
0: that's. I guess on one hand that's intuitive, but on the other hand, when you see companies trying to shift their target population from what they were originally intending, I feel like that's what some companies are facing. Like, I, I mean, even looking at the websites, right, of some of these wearable companies, it's like they have these professional athletes and these whatever, like strength trainers and coaches on, on, their, on their websites. From my perspective, it's like, how do, how does the, you know, quote unquote, like average person and connect to the product, connect to the company and how
1: they, they don't dot, dot, dot today. Look at, look at whoop, for example, right? Certainly much more on the athlete and achiever side of things, but with each passing year, more normal people are like, I think I got to try that thing. Right. And look at what Apple Watch has done. No Apple Watch clearly could be an athlete type device. It's just that Apple is so big and they have so many resources they can market it for people to enjoy what they're seeing and close a ring. That's a perfect example, right? If you only show charts of my steps or my sleep or whatever, that's going to be your 10 percenters. But the moment that you say, Ooh, a hundred more steps and you can close your ring, welcome to fifteen percent. Right? And so what these companies are doing is they are building strong enough products with proven enough data to then go to the middle market with better product features and simpler designs and better customer support and da 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 so that those people who have no patience for anything but perfect will actually retain on these types of products so it it just typically requires proving it in a very niche market and then with the resources that you get from either revenue profit or investor dollars putting resources into the product the design the customer support the brand to expand that market smartly and not too quickly
0: i would have to imagine education is such a huge piece of all of this, right, especially targeting that middle market, because, as you said, once they, you know, become aware that there is a problem, and that, you know, on, you know, on the surface, yes, they're, they're healthy, but they again, they may have these underlying conditions, or whatever it is, or, or maybe they've just haven't heard about healthspan and all the things that they could be doing to, you know, live this longer and better quality life. So you brought up i mean you brought up a, you know two content leaders right like huberman peter atia is it going to take these companies to partner with people like them or do you think companies are credible enough in itself like in themselves and in their teams that they can also pump out the content that's needed to fill this
1: let me let me propose a slightly different perspective if the products were perfect no education would be needed now that's not reality right so i'm making a a, frankly a ridiculous statement (laughs) but but in theory right if i had a wearable that if i missed my steps it somehow like electrically shocked me to go do my steps right and obviously i'm going with a ridiculous example Um, that would be more likely to get me to do my steps, which then would translate into better health span over X number of years, as opposed to me just seeing a chart or getting an email. Hey, maybe you should do your steps. It's like, uh, I don't feel like doing my steps, right? So the, the, the product has to come back and get better. That though is why it's so incredibly important to know your audience. Because if you're going after an 18 year old, can you imagine how different the conversation would be to get that 18 year old to go do their steps as opposed to a 65 year old? You might just send an emoji like yeah. with a runner to an 18 year old. And they're like, oh God, I gotta go do my steps. Whereas a 65 year old, you might need a little bit more info or whatever. And each audience is very different. And so it's very, very, very hard to communicate with those different audiences when you're early in the process. And so you need to choose the audience who's most likely to have the highest impact and result based on using your product and then expand. Now the, the next question is very likely, well, can we just build a product for this middle market? I think we will start to begin to see these types of products, but imagine how much power whoop apple watch garmin polar aura etc will already have in their products and data they will already have in their products which if they put the resources into that next market will be much more likely to serve more effectively than an upstart that has this gray amorphous middle market type of an audience so i think it's there's a realistic part of this conversation mixed with a um, a desired state. So I, I'm a believer that it just takes a long time in markets and with products to ultimately get full adoption. Think how long it took to get a a desktop computer into every home, right? Like, and that was maybe the best product to ever be created, right? So fitness and wellness to put the emotional piece back on it. A lot of people don't want to do it. And so why are we seeing stock prices and sales for Novo Nordisk and, you know, the Ozempic drugs, right? Because it's easier. And I'm not going to get into a conversation of if I think it's good or bad. I think that that could be great for a lot of people, those types of drugs. And I think it could be disastrous for other types of people. So like everything else, I'm a gray trade-off type of a thinker. But that product requires less work, i.e. for the audience who's like, yeah, I just want to feel good. I don't really want to do this thing called fitness, wellness, lifestyle. I'll just try that. But like that's an, that's a lower barrier product now outside of the price, right? You know, for that audience, it's right. Like human behavior will always be human behavior and the products with less friction with higher, faster results will always be more demanded. All things equal.
0: I've he- heard you say in uh, a previous you know podcast that, that you've done that, connected fitness products are offering more and are better than ever. This was back in, I think, the middle of 2022. So I'm wondering now, like we're, we're in the midst of these, these big companies, like Peloton, uh, like Lululemon, right after acquiring Mirror, um, that since then are now almost shifting away from their hardware component and are kind of more leaning into the content, the enterprise solutions, the subscription models, that sort of thing. So I guess two questions on this one at the time, like when you had, you know, said this and when you had held this belief, like what made you bullish on connect, connected fitness in general? And then two, in light of all these companies changing their strategies, what do you think has changed since then?
1: To me, Connected Fitness includes non-hardware solutions. Um, so I, I want to be careful, right? Um, I don't think that hardware solutions are going anywhere. I think that they are going to continue to be around. Um, I hope that Peloton, you know, kind of figures their, their reorg all the way around so that people can still experience it. Because I know, I mean, I don't personally know, but hundreds of thousands of people love riding a peloton bike love it and i'm like i know people personally that hated fitness that love doing peloton rides it completely changed people's perspective of how they could do fitness and so my the best answer that i can give you to your question is i don't think connected fitness is going anywhere because it provides a different way of achieving let's call it zone to aerobic work and resistance training Um, and or peak aerobic training for more consumers. And so you're just going to see like the, the reason that connected fitness is getting throttled is because of COVID and a bubble in venture capital and growth equity, in my opinion. So Peloton was rolling and then all of a sudden their sales went absolutely bonkers when COVID hit. And the, the mistake, I'm going to vastly oversimplify this, right? but the mistake was they thought that sales would just stay at that pace. And so they built the org to support what they expected those sales to be. They bought pre-core, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden sales were like, you know, and, and they went back to normal, right? The problem was if Peloton didn't expand the company, they couldn't have supported all those orders that got fulfilled. And so it's a trade off question, right? And again, I wasn't inside of Peloton. It sounds to me like all kinds of interesting decisions potentially were being made. But if you then also look at the rest of the market, what was happening? Everything connected fitness was getting bid up massively by venture capital, by private equity, and by the public markets. So Peloton stock price goes to what? 176, something like that. Their market cap, I don't remember what it was, like 40 billion or like some huge number. Um, And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, (laughs) you're not gonna keep selling this many units. Uh, And so they got throttled. And so they've been working pretty hard. It seems like I actually just did a quick analysis of their financials and they seem to actually be getting this reorg put together. and all things equal, maybe something goes off the train wreck, you know, off the train, the rails, excuse me, and, and maybe something goes really poorly. But you know they've got over a billion dollars in the bank, and it would seem like they're getting close or closer to cash flow neutral. And da 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 um, So I think that that's still going to be there. And people love the product. Yeah. So Peloton has built a brand for that people are willing to pay call it 39 bucks a month or whatever it is. Whereas other companies are trying to charge 19. and can't get people to do it. That's a captive customer base. That is a unique audience that they've expanded over years and years and years in the market, they've earned people paying them more. And I don't think that that concept is going to go away. So I'm bullish on long term, you know, health, wellness, connected fitness, but in this moment, and to be fair, part of the reason why you know we launched the Sage House when we did is because I thought the market was gonna get killed because I thought we were in a bubble and I wanted to be in market making investments as we were getting killed. Yeah. yeah. So my hope is that, keep in mind, I'm, I'm talking generally what I believe the industry is gonna do and I'm investing money in that way, so it's fair to say that. Um, but in my opinion, there's no chance that connected fitness completely goes away. Yeah, it's interesting, I mean, uh, you know, to be fair, we are we are in the midst of putting together a brick and mortar gym concept right now, like that we will actually create and operate. Um, and everything that we've just described, let me just try to define for you what it's gonna be, right? We're gonna call these gyms proof three, and they're gonna be for 35 to 55 year olds who are looking for health span, yeah. right? What are we going to have inside of them? We're going to have a very robust technology platform that takes all of the infrastructure that we've seen come through the industry in the last couple of years. So we're going to have Rook. There's our wearable data. So any wearable that they have, we will ingest that data and help them understand what's going on with the fitness and health score. We'll give them suggestions of how they can improve their uh, lifestyle. We'll also have a mental, you know, uh, Let's call it mindfulness, uh, emotional health app built in so they can go work on that. If that's what they want to do, we'll have an in gym movement and uh, mobility, computer vision based assessment that will then give them sessions, you know, five minute sessions. So low barrier sessions that they can do at home to improve their movement mobility. We'll have body composition testing through computer vision in gym. And of course you could do it at home. We'll have strength and power testing um through a very i'll just tell you it's called proteus right so we'll have that piece of hardware in gyms so that we have huge databases of how people need to get stronger and then our gyms themselves we will do strength training and we will do zone two aerobic and peak aerobic work so but we'll do it we'll do it in a group so there's the emotionality and the accountability portion we'll build an education platform because that's what I did in a former life and our operators done in a former life right we'll build education and we'll have high-end coaches and we're building this around hospitality so who are we going after middle group yeah but we're going after a bit older version of the middle group because we're going after health span and that, what I have seen in my market research and in the conversations I've had, because we've been working on this for nine months, you know, or more, my my conversations are suggesting to me that that audience feels underserved, that they now have a problem, and that they want to do something about it. So our our brand will be for that.
0: That is that is really really exciting. I I mean, and even just the way you broke that down, um, you you've kind of hit all the nails on the head, right? Um,
1: so we'll see. I hope so. <laughs> yeah,
0: so I guess, um you know when when do does you and your team like when do you guys hope to roll roll these types of these types of
1: studio gyms out? Uh Q1 of 24 will open in Pittsburgh.
0: Well, amazing. Jim, thank thanks so much for your time. Um you know, this was this is a really fun conversation with, for me. I hope it was fun conversation for you as well.